Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Granite Cornerstone podcast. We are here tonight to discuss the Masonic concept of whispering good counsel. Uh, we are joined tonight by Brother Scott Newberry. Welcome, Scott. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, also joining us tonight is Brother Chris Busby. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, Tim. Good evening, brethren. I know for those of you who are here for John Glover, I apologize. He's a little bit under the weather and we didn't want to cancel on you two weeks in a row. So unfortunately, John will not be able to join us tonight and you're stuck with the three of us. Um, well, you're stuck with Chris and Scott. I'm a joy to have. We all know oh, that, wow. right? And humble too. And humble. As we've, as we've said, I've said that the second time in the last 10 minutes, but. At least two times. <laughs> uh, so brethren, good evening. Welcome. Uh, we are here to discuss the Masonic concept of whispering good counsel. And I think there's a lot of a lot to unpack with this concept, and we definitely want to kind of get into this um, and, and talk about what it means and, and how it applies in our everyday lives and, and certainly how it applies as we interact Masonically with one another. Sound like a good place to start, guys? Go Sounds right good to me. All right. So let's uh, dive in. Chris, we'll start with you. The idea of whispering good counsel, there's a lot behind that. So Masonically, what does that mean to you? What is what is the idea that, that first comes to your mind when you hear the term whisper good counsel? Well, I first think about the ritual. And I was thinking of about course it you today. do. <laughs> I would, right? And um, I believe I didn't count, but just from my recollection, I believe it lists it mentions it three times. Um, in our in our master mason uh, ritual, and there's no secret there how as to how important that concept is. And actually, if I may digress a little bit, I we had a um, a memorial service today for somebody that's very important to the Masonic fraternity in uh, New Hampshire, uh, Sister Shelley Gullett, and uh, it was very prominent in Nashua and Eastern Star and. In rainbow and, and and really in all of the bodies for everything that she did for us. And when I was sitting there in our big lodge room, uh, but not too, too big with uh, over 200 uh, people there, most of whom were Masonic family members. There were 148 I, people in that room and no more. Yes, actually, you are correct, Tim. There were 148 people, but um, there were a lot of people there. And I'm thinking to myself, how important the Masonic family is. And it, and it does speak a lot to sort of the appendant bodies and how we're able to get, you know, uh, mem all members of our family, if they, if they choose to, involved in the fraternity. But the good, the wonderful piece about that, whether they belong to those bodies or not, is building that family and building those relationships in a way to where we can converse with each other in, in a way to help each other become better. Um, and I think that struck me today, again, as I'm thinking about my Masonic journey, as I do in these moments um, of reflection and thinking about all of the people that were there today and thinking about the types of relationships we have with those people and, and thinking to myself, could I actually whisper good counsel in the way that I would hope to every single brother and sister, uh, uh, Eastern Star sister that was there. So uh, th that's something that really kind of struck me as, as being, as being so critically important. And, and the reason why I, I, I love the Masonic family so much and how it ties into these, uh, very Masonic principles that we, we, we try to live by. Scott, how about you? What is, when you first hear the words whisper, good counsel, what, what comes to mind? Well, for, for me, I think that the biggest challenge for any of us when it comes to that, what comes to mind is the ability to take ourselves out of the equation you know how can i provide something that will be of value to the individual i'm speaking to without making it about myself and that's a real challenge um you know it's it's something i think we all have a tendency to do i mean i'm sure as we sit around and talk you know every event eventually someone says well i remember how, when when this happened or you know back when i did this or man i just had that happen to me we have a tendency to change the conversation and make it more internally focused versus externally focused. 
you know, we're trying to help the brother or the sister or the or the youth member that we're talking we're working with. We're trying to help them take that next step and, and solve whatever problem or situation that they're in. Uh, and it makes it a challenge because, you know, I know I'm guilty of it as, as much as the next person. You know, it's all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I remember this and I try to use a personal experience to try and, and help the person. And I think that's a, uh, it's useful, but you need to be careful that you don't take it and turn the whole entire conversation to what you were actually talking about for yourself versus how that can be applied to what the individual needs for for assistance. Yeah, I I think that the concept you know, and you know not to get too Freudian here, I think the concept of ego is is really important in this conversation. I've met a lot of masons and and by and large we're all generally possessed of a strong personality. Uh, strong opinions. If anybody's ever sat in on a meeting of past masters, they know that those exist. Um, and I think that there is full a, disclosure: three past masters on the on the podcast. Three, three past masters <laughs> and, and Grand Lodge officers on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I so ourselves included in that. Oh, absolutely! I am certainly not <laughs> excluding myself from this conversation. But we're strong-willed individuals. The people who who tend to ascend to Masonic office, tend to have certain, you know, I don't want to say egos in a bad way, but they exist, certainly. Absolutely. Um, and I think there is a natural conflict between the concept of whispering good counsel and the strong personalities that we tend to engender in Masonry. And, and I don't think it's an insurmountable conflict, but I think that naturally that conflict exists. So what I one of the things that struck me most in, in preparation for this conversation was really the idea of humility, the ability to be humble, to receive good counsel. And, and I think there's a degree of humility required to whisper good counsel with the best intentions. So let's talk about that a little bit, Chris. What it, when we talk about humility, how does that fit this factor into the conversation for you? Well, it, it becomes on how we determine how you determine the the approach, and I think Scott really just covered a little bit of that: is taking yourself out of out of it, but also understanding the concept of being on the level in masonry is so critically important to every single other tenet that we talk about, and I I think that that idea of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And again, none of these concepts are, are foreign to being human beings, right? So we talk about this from a Masonic standpoint, but in reality, there's nothing different in the rest of, uh, the rest of humanity as to how we govern ourselves. It's just that we adhere to, we try to adhere to a very specific core set of principles. If we were to think that I don't have an ego. Scott doesn't have an ego. Tim, everyone that's listening to this now, watching this now, doesn't have an ego. We do, right? That's that's the the person inside that's talking. The self preservation, uh, the the you know the the self uh, the sense of self. Really, a lot of it is is dominated by the ego. Yeah, and 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 it's about thinking about the circumstance and taking yourself. I am terrible personally. This is something that I, I've really wanted to work on as a part of and have been working on, I think, as a part of my Masonic journey is um, is talking ahead of people and not and not listening to to what people are trying to say. Thinking about we, the we next, have all been asking for you to work on that. Listen. <laughs> no, but seriously now, bro, sort of, I suggest yeah, right. And so it's instead of uh, instead of responding in a way that you're trying to respond, listening to listen. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but at the same time, I think that if you set up your relationship with your brethren to be one of that of being on the level, willing to be able to listen and leave judgments aside and then to be able to respond to that person and and give them that that advice and counsel 
is 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 so critically important. But I think that a lot of us, because we do live our own lives and we are bombarded by a lot, sort of get uh, get corner ourselves in, in this in this sort of uh, me centered life. Uh, and I think a lot of what you see out there sort of reflects that, right, in our uh, in our time. And, that, and this is why masonry is so critically important. And the ability for us to be able to do just what we're saying is to remind people of what their path is and what they themselves say that they're hoping to accomplish. And knowing knowing these brothers well enough to know what that is. And to have that relationship and understanding of their lives, we're all supposed to be sharing our lives with each other in that way, I think. I really do genuinely believe that. I don't, from my perspective, and I'm like this anyway, is that I'm kind of an open book. I, I don't hold too much back. Um, and other people are absolutely the opposite of that. But I think in the context of the Masonic family, the more that we develop relationships with one another, the more that if something does come up and because we've been listening, because we've been paying attention, because we've been talking to that brother, that when something does come up, that you have that ease of communication, ease of relationship to be able to have that discussion and have it be fruitful. And I, and I think that that's, at least critically important to the experience that I've witnessed in, in trying to, uh, to, to manage uh, situations like that in the past. I, I know that's a very long answer. Uh, there's no, a lot to unpack there. But I think at the end, you know, you really touched on something I want to talk about, and that's the relationship aspect. We are meant to share essentially very intimate details of who we are and what we're doing with our brothers. And I think that that relationship is the foundation that allows us to, to whisper good counsel, to share whether it's our wisdom or whether it's just an observation that something may not be right and, and you may want to change or check a behavior. Um, I think we need to build that relationship. I think the relationship is the foundation of that conversation. Scott, what are your thoughts on, on humility as it relates to whispering good counsel? Well, it's critically important. Um, and it's, I want to kind of touch on what you said at the end there, uh, Tim, because we mentioned about having a relationship because, you know, a lot of times we're trying to, to counsel a brother or provide advice on an aspect that hopefully they're asking us to help them with. And that's a huge piece. Cause we're going to come back to that. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go there now. <laughs> No, keep going. Yeah. I've seen instances where the advice is being given, but it's not being asked for. And in some cases, yeah. it it grows beyond the initial piece. So, you know, like I might say, hey, you know, Tim, you really need to get a haircut because, you know, let's face it, you need a haircut. You're 100% right? correct. But I'm saying that making it as a suggestion, you know, Maybe you know, might help you out, you know, you know, make you look better. But now, if other brothers pick up on that and start to add their advice on top of it, now it's no longer whispering good counsel. Now we're putting you in a position where you're uncomfortable. You're starting to question what's wrong with me. You get agitated because now everybody's bringing it up. Uh, you know, I, I'll use a use a, a good example only because I've been recently involved with this. Uh, you're at the, you know, if you're in the hospital, every single person who walks up to you asks you for your date of birth. Every single one. And it gets annoying because now everybody's doing it. So if I'm giving you a piece of advice and then everybody else is giving you the same advice, now it's no longer advice. Now it's the everybody's ganging up on me. Yeah, you're getting beaten down. No. Right. So it, it's no longer being helpful. In fact, it's being harmful. So it's one of the challenges we have because, you know, you want to be humble and provide the advice to the brother that needs it or is asking for it. Um, but if you're not part of the initial interaction, you need to understand that you need to leave it alone. Despite the fact you might have something you feel is really relevant and really important and the brother needs to hear it, 
you've got to just kind of take a step back and wait for that conversation to happen. You know, and some of that is the ego talking. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Chris, you, you, you mentioned it earlier. We need to listen more. Uh, I was doing some research earlier today, something unrelated, and I came across a quote. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Uh, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's true. You know, you, you, we should be trying to listen more and then provide what's being looked for, not necessarily what we think is being looked for. Okay, so Scott, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And <laughs> and I think it's it's sending me down in a couple of directions that I didn't even think about tonight. So let's talk about the first one. The first word of this episode title is whispering. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, there is a possibility that if you are to bring up something that is particularly sensitive or you know, may may be unsolicited for a brother, and then it it's something that others jump onto and potentially gang up on, right? I think that is the reason we use the phrase whispering good counsel. I think that the delivery is we do not publicly shame another brother. We do not stand up in lodge and disagree with another brother under most circumstances. Obviously, we invite debate at certain points, but at the end of the day, we don't publicly shame or or point out those those sort of flaws um that that we may be talking about in this conversation so when we talk about whispering good counsel i think one of the really important concepts we need to look at is the concept of whispering and obviously i'm not going to come up to you and whisper into your ear um that might be a little bizarre but the idea of taking a little uncomfortable yeah unless you're chris he he tends to enjoy that sort of thing but (laughs) The idea of pulling a brother aside and having a conversation in private so that it's just the two of you changes the dynamic of that conversation in in a big way, right? I think that's part of the concept. But the other thing that you brought up, Scott, that I really, I, I didn't think about was the solicitation of advice versus the, the unsolicited giving of advice. So, Chris, when when we talk about whispering good counsel, to me, the initial thought that pops into my head is it's generally unsolicited. What are your thoughts on that? It, it, do you think that when we talk about this concept, it, it includes you know us asking for help, or is it just us giving advice to a brother who may need it? It is absolutely both. Uh, I think. I think the differences are related to context. So the first context being a a strictly Masonic context, right? You're in lodge, you're in an apron and your jewels and a tux and you're out in a parade or you're representing your, and you're, and you're, you're in within each other with, with, with brothers in a Masonic context. And if something something goes wrong within that context, right? I think that definitely that unsolicited sort of, hey, just just wanted to let you know, just as a reminder, don't, you know, right? To, to kind of frame it. When it comes to the outside pieces, it can be challenging because it's, it, it, you know, it's is the brother's entire life for everyone to observe? Well, I mean, it is to some degree or another, we live in a very sort of much more transparent world, I think, than we've ever lived in from the perspective of, of what we see each other uh, doing in life. And, and, and certainly, you know, there, I, I'm sure that there have been instances of brothers that somebody posted something on social media and another brother said, hey, that might not be the best thing for you to do in this context. And, and again, it is in the context of, of masonry. The other context is the personal, strictly personal context, but the Masonic context does bleed into the personal, right? Because we are very specific in in what we say, how a brother should ideally behave as a Mason, um, particularly in the opening and more specifically the closing closing charge when it comes to how to act in the world. So, you know, um, if we witness it or or are party to um, something like that, 
Um, we should say something, but I want to point out something very, a word very particularly mentioned in the closing charge. And again, I'm not breaking any oaths by saying this. Tender. The most tender manner is the way in which we need to whisper good counsel. And, and that right there is actually the hardest thing to do. That's that's where sort of the rubber hits the road as far as as the as how challenging this is as a human being to do, to be able, even though it might be coming from a place of 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 love, to be able to then express that in a way that displays that brotherly love to that brother, while at the same time getting that message across. That is, I think, the hardest thing to do in, in, in the whole concept of, of whispering. It's not, it's not strictly a Masonic concept. The way we say it is very Masonic, right? The way we interpret that information and, and talk to each other about it, I think, is, is very specific. It is to make sure that, that brothers feel as though they're not being attacked, that they are feeling the love, the brotherly love that is coming from us and the reasons why we're, we're expressing that good counsel, but to also not overstep. And I think that's where a lot of what you're saying is what's going on under brothers in a brother's marriage or, or, or other personal areas of his life is still going to be his, right? Obviously, we're not here to, we're not morality police, that, that's not what we're here to do as brothers for each other. But what we are trying to do is to, if we are to believe what we say that we are, is to make men better, is that masonry through a process makes men better. It's not a singular process. It's a process that happens uh, uh, both singularly and, and in, a, in a group. And the group is the lodge. And we all have that responsibility to, to each other, to move each other forward on the right path and as long as we keep that in sight we also have to work on the idea of how we communicate those messages to our brothers because not all of us communicate the same way even remotely right and no. so and so because we come from different backgrounds different experiences and so that is the commonality that we share um, is is that is that tenderness and tenderness and I think Tim we've talked about this and this might be a note that you have is not typically a uh, considered a typical male no certainly. masculine right uh, yeah. thing right um, it's not that we we can't be tender but in a in a in a brother to brother a man to man situation it's not something that you necessarily see every day right and and that is part of the experience that masons are supposed to have with one another is that tenderness um which is which tends to be seen as a very uh softer and more feminine uh approach and that's that's one of the things that i i think i i struggle with you're right chris in that tenderness the concept the word all of it tends to strike me as are you all right yeah just, sorry a little back <laughs> a little tweak tends to strike me as as more of a i don't want to say feminine concept but unmasculine concept in its very nature yeah and i know that it's not and but i know that outside of this fraternity the 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 friendships the relationships that i have with other men tend to not ascribe themselves to tenderness in no way shape or form is that a word i would use uh to describe my relationship with anybody in general but i think we need to talk about the the process of becoming accepting of that particular trait in the way we interact with each other and really understanding what tenderness means in that concept that's that that's hard how do we how do we get there as as a receptive audience as a as a either giving the advice or receiving the advice how do we accept that level of intimacy in a way that we especially as men 
have generally never been taught to be receptive to it. Well, part of the problem, Tim, is to get to that level, you have to actually pick up two additional traits. You have to be humble. You have to be willing to understand that it's not about you, but you also have to make yourself vulnerable to your brothers. You have to be willing to open up at a level that most of us aren't comfortable doing. You know, let's face it. I mean, you know, I walk around, I talk to a bunch of people and they're, I mean, both in and out of the fraternity. And there are things that I will, will not discuss outside of the four walls of the lodge room because I don't feel comfortable that those topics can be discussed there. And there are some people I'm more comfortable talking about certain things, even met people who aren't members of the fraternity because I don't feel that the brothers, I don't feel comfortable discussing them around them. And it's, it's a big challenge to get to that stage where you have to be willing to open yourself up at that level before you can get to the humble and the tenderness and the understanding that you're trying to give something from a good place. The counterpoint is also there. You have to be willing to understand that the advice you're getting is coming from that place and That's, not necessarily. Yes, that I think is the hardest part. Because let's face it, it is in our nature. The moment someone says, hey, Scott, I really think blue is not your color. Don't wear it again. There's a good chance if you hit me on the wrong day, I'm going to get upset. And the advice may be perfectly valid, but still, I'm taking it in the context that where are you coming from? You've got no right to tell me how to dress or what color, color clothes I should pick. And the friendship then gets challenged. So, and, bro and Brother Ellis, thank you. By the way, I see your chat, quoting Ritual. I love it. On this basis, we build our friendships and establish our connections. And right? Guy Martineau made a you know a good remark. And Guy, yes, absolutely. We need to we need to understand the situation that brother is coming from, and I think a lot of that circles back to the point that that was made earlier about building a relationship with your brothers. You need to be present in lodge. You need to be active in order to be able to receive or give these messages because the relationship is the foundation that makes this okay. Um. The three of us but are. Tim, it's, a, it's important to understand that that goes beyond the fraternity. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I, th I think that that's it can't get lost. What we're talking about here is completely applicable outside of the fraternity. I have people I work with all day long, and some of them, it's like every once in a while, it's like, I really need to say something here. And how do I go about it? Because I don't want to spoil the work relationship, I don't want to ruin the personal relationship. But this is a piece of advice I think they need to get. But, th that but is... it's different. It's different. And Tim, I'm sorry, but no, this, go ahead. This is different. And, and and you're right, Scott. But the difference is, is that we have a different contract with those people that we work with or people that we deal. And I don't, I, that sounded very negative. Those people, that's not what <laughs> With that group of people, right? Then we do with each other as as masons we've we've made a very specific obligation to do those things in that scenario now if you're a manager in a professional sense you have an obligation to do certain things in, in that regard or you know as far as the work piece is concerned but that all those things have their own implications and repercussions sure, they have their own implications they have their own contract relationship we have but the principles are still the same we can't, in my honest opinion, as Masons, we can't really distinguish between the two. Otherwise, we're not really living our Masonic principles outside of the lodge room. See, I don't know that. I uh, and I mean the other per I mean the other person involved in yeah. that. That you, you know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I, I think there's a. I think we have a higher burden to our brothers. Oh, I'm not I arguing that one. I agree yeah. entirely with the idea that we need to. These principles need to extend further, right? We need to, but, and I know, right, Worshipful Ackridge is here, and this is this is part of the conversation related to, you know, to, to education. What we do in the lodge, the only way we improve ourselves, the only way we build upon that spiritual edifice that we are constructing is to carry those principles outside of the lodge. And I think that establishing that foundation with our brothers is paramount 
in the conversation when trying to, to have those conversations outside of the lodge. I think that, and this is, this is one of those things where it is a strictly Masonic concept in the way we hear it. It's probably not something you ever thought about outside of lodge until it's told to you within the lodge. Right. But I think this is one of those things that is so important for us to take home, internalize and share externally, because I think this is one of those key foundation. It is not an ancient landmark of this craft, but at the end of the day, uh, it is entirely a, a huge part of, of the lessons we learn as Masons and is one of the most important things that we can take out of the lodge to improve ourselves as men, never mind as Masons. So I think that concept starts internally, but I think that there is there is an expert external value to to learning that lesson. But I, I there was something I wanted to say, but now you got me off on this whole tangent about about that. But I think that this is one of the most important lessons we need to learn as Masons. I think it is one of the most foreign concepts coming into a lodge as, as adult men who have been raised a certain way. And certainly that doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies to a lot of us. I'd imagine that we were raised as men, you know, especially 20, 30 years ago, that these concepts are foreign to most of us. So that world is different. And I think that it's one of the most important things we need to learn as Masons. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about it, you know, I, I remember my father and, you know, and my grandfathers, and they were very much guarded individuals. You know, my father's relationship with me didn't change until after I moved out of the house, got married, you know, uh, and at that point things changed because now you saw me more as a peer outside of the family unit versus, you know, the father-son relationship. But I was taught, you know, the, the, you know, the male role model, this is how they act. It was very old school for a lot of things, you know? So Scott, your, your father and your grandfather were both Masons, correct? Yes. My father, both grandfathers and several other members of the family. Yeah. So, I mean, especially here in New Hampshire, they were taught the same lessons that we're taught today. But how much do you want to bet that this conversation was never something that they had with, with their brothers? Well, see, here's where you have to look at the context, because they probably didn't have the conversations because at the time, masonry was dealt with very differently. It was very much a we don't talk about it situation. It was also a situation where the vast majority of brothers at the time were World War II veterans and they were very... This is how we do things. It's a masculine role. And they didn't talk about feelings. They didn't talk about, you know, the, the various aspects of life beyond what they thought you should know. But but when did that concept get introduced? Obviously, the, the wording, the language, all of that has existed for centuries in this fraternity. Sure. But the application that we're talking about today is very different than the application they would have been talking about 50 years ago. Oh, How absolutely. did we get to the point we're at today when these are the people who raised us? I, well, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that society has changed. How we look at things has changed. You know, it's one of those situations where, you know, social media didn't exist for our parents. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, you know, in fact, social media didn't exist for, you know, the first decade that I was involved with being a parent. So I, you know, I wish social media still didn't exist for my parents, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> well, Tim, maybe you should do that counseling offline. Uh -huh. Fair enough. But I mean, I you have to take, I mean, the lesson's been there, but whether the aptitude or the attitude to approach it wasn't there. You know, you have to understand that for a long period of time, I... You know, yeah, I'll admit I'm one of the old guys on the call. I remember when I came into the fraternity, we met. I mean, you just called it a call, so that's, yeah. you know. So, 
Well, you know, I, I got to get up my tin <laughs> cans and my string, you know, so we can all talk together. <laughs> How's it going, Chris? I like that. Chris, when the carrier pigeon gets to your house, let me know. Uh -huh. I will, definitely. But, you know, when you take a look at things, you know, it's the, – the differences are there. I mean, you know, we look at the world very differently. My children look at the world differently, you know, uh, I know, you know, you guys both know, and in fact, there'll probably several individuals on the, uh, in the audience all know, I'm not huge on things like Facebook and Instagram. You know, I have accounts, I occasionally pop on, but for me, it's not the reason why I don't go there. Well, at least one of them is because people have a tendency to overshare. You love Remember? Twitter, though. Twitter I'm on. So, but um, but most people, if you take a look, it's, it's, it's cut back quite a bit from, you know, several years ago, but people used to overshare. I really don't need to know what you had for breakfast, you know? Oh, yeah, the the, the wild days of Facebook photo uh, shoots for breakfast. And now yeah. most of that's moved to Instagram, which is a platform I don't even understand. Right. But, I mean, you know, that's, a, that's something that our parents' generation and the generation ahead of that, that wasn't even a concept. I mean, you'd be surprised if someone even asked you what you had for breakfast. I, listen, I'm going to be honest. I take pictures of good meals. I take pictures of good cocktails. I take pictures of great coffees that I've had. I can tell you right now, you know, my my father, my my mother. Certainly nowadays, they're they're more apt to to have those those pictures. But growing up, my grandmother certainly never took a picture of any meal she ever ate in her life, guaranteed. <laughs> but that I mean, but that's an important point. What you're saying is that is that sort of we're more willing generationally we're more willing to share yes um because we have that and, and i don't think that it's i don't think it's a statement that the previous generations were not good masons or they did no that no has not nothing at all. to do with no, that no, at all. No, no, no. I mean, well, to be clear and i know that that's what you're saying too but but it is a generational thing and we, it is we have a level of social intimacy because of the technology that we use every day yeah that, that certainly didn't exist well, 20 years ago we, we just have to take a look at we, we kind of talked about it a little bit before we came on board look at the differences in how we communicate you know those of us that are part of generation x we're just as likely to pick up the phone as we are to send an email or a text but when you get to the next you know, when you get to the millennials and and the gen zers and the you know the one the groups that my kids belong to you look at one, they're more, more apt to pick up and do a Snapchat or, you know, shoot a TikTok or, you know, they, they, the, the concept of making a phone call is yeah. almost foreign to them. I, I am a COVID master, right? So my, my term of office as master, uh, my second term was during COVID. Yep. And during that time, March, April, especially, we had to cancel our state of meetings, right? They, they came right most of the state of meetings I know were right around the time that COVID hit. I think ancient York probably had one the week before the, all the restrictions happened and rising sun was the week after I had to make sure that every single member of my lodge, my duty as master was to make sure that they were informed. We were not having a state of meeting because that is a major change to the way we operate. It was physical torture for me to pick up the phone and make the phone calls that I had to make. At, at, you know, as part of the generation I'm part of. I'm 36 years old. I'm not a young man by any stretch of the imagination, but I hated it. I hated making those phone calls. And we live in a different world today than we did five years ago, 10 years ago. And that's, that's an interesting concept to think about, especially when it comes to this conversation. Oh, and then you take I did from my pro Oh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. I was gonna say, now you can take it a step further. The generations that are coming, social media and, and interacting online are the dominant me methods of communication. I mean, my day, my day job, I am in Microsoft Teams, it's text messages all day. Oh, yeah. So, but when you take a look at that, what they, a lot of them don't pick up on is just because you know someone on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat doesn't mean you really know them. <laughs> and that... Yeah. That lends itself to the conversation we had earlier about relationship and approach. Because we exp we expect a certain higher level of intimacy between brothers in this fraternity. And there is a gap in, in maybe the way we perceive that relationship. 
that allows us, and this is, there's some really good points that I want to talk about here in the sidebar. Yeah. Yep. Brother Russ Raymond, if you can't help them, don't hurt them. They not they may not be ready to hear it. Choosing the proper time to have a conversation is, is most important above all. That's important. Dave Ackridge also follows up with also who might be the best to deliver the whisper. You may be the one who observed the infraction, the issue, whatever it is, but you may not be the one with the relationship to have that conversation. And I think that there, that all of this kind of ties in. There are there certainly Scott, and I'm I'm not trying to call you old here or anything, but your generation and mine may be a little bit different. Certainly, you know, your son and I and you are all separated by years. And what I consider to be a close relationship may be different than what you consider to be a close relationship. And God knows it's different from what, you know, the kids these days consider to be a close relationship. I'm having a hard time with you using that statement. I, sorry. I get it. But, <laughs> but I think that, you know, the level of intimacy or the level of relationship that we perceive ourselves to have may often be different than the level of relationship we actually have. And you touched on one of the big concerns there is it's generational too. It is in a big so, way. I mean, you know, so myself having a conversation and I'm, I'm an advisor for Dima life, trying to have a conversation with a 15 year old is very different than having a conversation with a 30 year old. It's different than having a conversation with a 50 year old and how you approach those are all different. Yep. And, and in a lot of cases, you know, it's, it's difficult because you have to change your, your mindset frequently when you do that. But, you know, like we've said, I may not be the right person to talk to them. You know, you know, I might see something wrong and say, you know what, let me pull aside one of the, you know, it's one of the, you know, I'm going to use the youth organizations. Maybe it's one of the 14 or 15 year olds. There's a challenge there. I think that's a really excellent point from from Dave. I really do like that. Yeah. I mean, it may not, I may not be the right one. I, maybe they have a better relationship with one of the other advisors. So I'll go to the other advisor. Hey, a conversation. I mean, we need to have a conversation with this individual. Can you help me out? Because I think they know, you know them better. One of the things I want to go back to along those lines, something that uh, Wishful Guy Martineau said a little bit earlier, which is you gotta if you if you have a problem with a brother, you probably should be including him in the conversation. And, oh God, yeah. And I and I think that that's that's where I think oftentimes human nature kicks in in a bad way. Sometimes when we and again, this is uh, this is not one particular group of people. We all have. Uh, the uh, ability to be able to say, oh, well, what's going on with so-and-so and not then just turn to that person and say, hey, can we help you? We notice that you're having a tr- trouble. What's what's happening? And I, I know I've been guilty of this myself. And so this uh, this mindset of, of, of approach and communication is so critically important because the other side to this is, is that not only do we not do our Masonic duty, but then we could lose a brother if we do it the wrong way. And, and, that, I, and that is the worst possible thing that could happen. And we are charged to vindicate a brother's character yep. when it is wrongfully traduced. Yeah. And to Guy's point, that is impossible to do when we are the ones responsible in any way, shape, or form or that traducement. Is that a word? If it's not, I like it. It is. It is now. Certainly. But but yeah. that's, that's to, to Guy's point, that is a very important conversation here is we need to have that conversation with the brother and that, and I'm going to, so I'm going to out myself here a little bit and say, this is something that I struggle with. Right. And, and I am, I am not the youngest Mason by far. You know, when I joined, I was certainly amongst the younger brothers um, I'm a past master, but I'm 36 years old. The, the people who are, are coming to me for counsel, coming up in, in the lodge or as a district officer, people who are within my district, my jurisdiction, they're generally much older than me. They're, they often have more Masonic experience than I do. How, how do I, and this is, this is really a personal problem that I have that I, I could certainly, you know, want to discuss a little bit. How do I frame 
those conversations in a way that doesn't make me look like some young upstart. It, it, knowing that I'm coming from a place of Masonic experience uh, as a past master, as a district officer, whatever it is, none of that matters. But how do I have that conversation with a guy who's 30 years older than I am, who's been a Mason for 30 years longer than I have? And, and how do I frame that conversation in a way that that is going to be something they receive? I've received advice, but the majority of the advice and, and complaint and criticism that I've received has been from, from my elders, from people who've been around a lot longer than I have. But I now find myself in a position where people come to me for advice or, or I have to give it, or I have to make a statement as a, as a, a byproduct of my office. Um, that's the very definition of being on the level. It is, but that's a concept I struggle with as a, as a young man, as a young Mason, even as a past master and a, and a district officer. I, it, it I, I, Tim, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to burst the bubble, but I mean, you know, I struggle, and I'll be honest, I struggle even when it's a from a perspective of being a peer. So, you know, someone else has been a district officer, or someone else has been a past master, someone else who's in my age group, and they're coming to me for advice. It's hard. It's it's not easy because I'm looking going, you know, they're in the same boat I'm in. Why do they think I'm gonna have a better perspective on it? So it's it's that goes back to you know being sure to take the time to listen and understand what the the advice is that the, the needed advice. Or the advice that's being asked for, the counseling that's being asked for, is really important to understand what the ask is before answering. And part of that is, and you know, I'm going to use a cliche here, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, understanding what their situation is, and then you're able to understand what's being asked. Then you can go ahead and offer the advice. And I have found frequently my advice is, I'm not sure. Oh, let me get back to you on it. You know, because a lot of times, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'll be the first one. I don't know everything. You know, I, I, I it would be kind of a dull life to live in. What? Right so, no, no <laughs> let, let, let's be honest, Chris. I don't know everything. I have an answer for everything. It's a big difference. That's a big difference. <laughs> yes. And I think that's, but, that's it, it's a valid point here. You know, you, you know, you need to listen to what's being asked and it's really hard, but you need to take the whole age office life experience question out of it because there's obviously something that that brother or individual feels that you can give them that they don't have themselves. If a brother is asking you, that means that you, that there's mutual respect and that there's a, a, a reason why they're asking you. And, I, and I've and, had and, this and, conversation with the brothers who have approached whoa. me, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to be open about it. And I think that's one of the weird things for me is I'm, I'm more than willing to receive criticism. I'm more than willing to be the recipient of counsel, but I struggle mightily with the one to be the one giving it, even when I know it needs to be given. And I think that's a hurdle that exists on the other side that we may not think about in a lot of, a lot of ways. Well, personally, I'm adverse to, I'm adverse to conflict. Um, I'm, I'm the type of guy that gets all riled up in my head about something that upsets me. And, and most of that happens in my brain because I, I don't want to engage anyone in any way that might seem negative. And so it can, it can come across as being cowardly, I think, sometimes because or, or – That's certainly how I feel at times. Well, no, you can feel as though you're unprincipled because you, you're not wanting to put yourself out there. It's not that you don't have the feeling that something is not quite right, but that you are nervous to engage in a way that might upset another person or, 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 or put them in a direction that you, you're not intending to. And, and that's, that's important. That's that's critical to this is to understand that there are barriers on all sides of this equation, right? Yeah. As human beings that we all encounter, and around the context of masonry, around the teachings of masonry is is that commonality, and and that's 
And that's why masonry is so important. And that's why masonry can be so powerful in a different way than a workplace can be. Not to say that we're not doing those things in the workplace, but we have obligated ourselves to each other specifically to do these things for each other. More especially among Brother Masons. I, I take that. I don't always live it. But I take it to be very that, that to me that's why that charge is the, my favorite piece of ritual because that to me is is what boils down to me my duties to everybody. You mean the closing charge? Yes. And I mean, you know my feelings on the closing charge as as I had to give a presentation on a piece of ritual that was important to me, and having sat in the east and delivered that charge. 25 some odd times or whatever it was it's humbling it is it is absolutely the most important lesson that i think we teach and i think it's often overlooked in our ritual because it's just part of the business ah but it isn't (laughs) it's part part of the basis you know so but see that's i think that's that's where one of the challenges is is that because it's in ritual we hear all the time people after the first couple of times a lot of people just tune it out absolutely and that's that yeah we hear it in the master mason degree but how many master mason degrees do we see in a year and i think there are certain pieces of ritual that have a higher impact because we hear them less often but i i am the closing charge is to me like you just said, Chris, the foundation of the lessons that we need to learn to absorb masonry, right? It is everything that we should be taking out of the lodge, those lessons that are learned in it. And I, it is unfortunate that in a lot of places, it, it's, it's ritual that's considered business and not really a charge to the brethren as it's supposed to be. Well, because I think that's that's where the meat of this this whole fraternity lies in the closing charge. So that's in the closing charge. But keep in mind that we hear something in the opening charge that's equally as important. I don't listen to the opening charge. That's just business. Well, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> See, this is the problem with being on a call on a podcast. Grandmaster, are you listening to this right now? You know, I, I'm here. I am on a podcast with two active lectures. I'm 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 going to get ganged up on. So, um, but in the opening charge, we're told to put all private animosities aside. And so often, when we go to give counsel, or when we're receiving counsel, we're not in the best frame of mind because usually a lot of times we're upset. Oh, that's a good. So point. that animosity comes rearing, rearing its ugly head really quick and it's something got to be careful of well and that and not to speak for chris but i i know that chris is chris's biggest critic and when something has gone wrong when did this become about me no but i you literally just raised your hand and said okay you're inviting this but chris is chris is chris's biggest critic and when something is done wrong and having been in the position to inspect chris on his ritual he knows exactly what I'm going to say as lecturer about the thing that he missed because he's already been beating himself up about it for the last 45 minutes. 100% true. And if I say it, if I pile on to that, I mean, certainly, you know, Chris and I have a relationship where that's fine, but if it's somebody else and you're in the wrong frame of mind because you're already kicking yourself for making that mistake, to yeah, Russ Raymond's can't... point, you are right. It is the wrong time to share that message. Yeah, you're kicking that brother down the stairs at that point. Yeah, and that's that is so hard to gauge unless you have the relationship. And I know when I can say these things to Chris, for example, and I know exactly when I can't because I can see the thundercloud forming over his head as he's walking out of the east or wherever it may be. And that is... That is a result of the, the relationship and the intimacy that we share as brothers. Yeah. But not everybody has that level of relationship with everybody else. 
And you really do have to gauge that conversation. And it's and, important. And, you have to also understand that the brother's frame of mind might have been impacted by something that happened before he came to the lodge. That you have yes. absolutely no idea about. Yes. But if you know your brothers well enough, you should be able to tell in a lot of those cases that that's something that's happening. And if you don't, that's okay. You, you're going to probably find out because when you say something, they're going to say something back because they're just going to whisper that good counsel right back at you. But we strive for that level. We do. And, and, that, I think, and, and oh yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I, mean I, I know I know in my case I, I've had instances where I've tried to speak to a brother and it was obviously the wrong time. Yeah. And I didn't pick up on the telltale thunderclaps coming. And I've had brothers snap right at me without, you know, not realizing they've done it. And that's when, as the person who's given the advice, you need to go back to remembering where you're coming from to give that advice yeah and obviously understand that it's not the right moment so just you know give the brother the space and more often than not they'll come back to you and say hey look i'm sorry you know, you caught me at a bad time you were talking about whatever it was and then you, know, you can have that conversation i i've seen it happen many times i've had it happen many times and i know i've snapped your brothers in the past Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't I, think there's anyone here that can say that they haven't. Yeah, this, Tim was so, just a little too emphatic about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I All know the time. My, I, just I know my flaws. Um, listen, we've been at this for an hour. We, we need to wrap up. But this conversation is a lot meatier than I think probably any of us thought it, it, it was going to be. There is so much to this topic and, and my closing thoughts on this are this, this concept of whispering good counsel, being receptive to counsel, being willing to give it and, and receive it is so important and so unique to what we do as Masons and is one of the most important lessons that we are taught that applies outside of what we do. And, and there's a piece of the, the charge to the brethren that's part of our installation ritual. And it says humility in both. We're going to get that out of here because there's something else about it. But humility is an essential duty. And that's, that is something we need to carry with us every single day. Listen to the charge that you receive every time a lodge closes. Listen to the charge you receive every time a lodge is open. Because they may be part of the business that you hear every single time you go to lodge. But the lessons contained within those pieces of ritual are the secret sauce that makes us what we are. And this, this concept, this conversation especially, I think is, is supremely important to our conduct and our growth as men and masons. And with that, I'm going to ask Scott if you have any closing thoughts to share with us. Well, I don't think you could say much more than what we've already said. The biggest challenge, I think, for any of us is to understand whether we're giving good advice and counsel or we're receiving it. It's important to understand that it's coming from a place of honesty and a place of genuinely willingness to help. You know, you can tell the difference between someone that's there to try and help you and someone who's just there to, you know, beat you up because you made a mistake. You know, um, I think it's really important to understand those pieces of the of the puzzle when you're dealing with good counsel. Um, and I would encourage everybody to, you know, take a moment when someone comes up and either either asking for advice or you feel someone needs a piece of advice. You know, take that moment to make sure, you know, like we've heard and we've already talked about. Is it the right time? Are you the right person? Are they in the right frame of mind to receive it? Because at the end of the day, if those three pieces aren't in place, it doesn't matter what you say. You're just going to possibly even create more problems than the individual is already dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, closing thoughts. Have have this discussion with your brethren. Have a, have a large discussion about it. Have a 
get together with brothers and talk about this concept. It's so important, and I think it reveals a lot. Um, even as we've had this discussion, you know, we've sort of loosened up and we've, we've delved into very different aspects of this. And that's that's the amazing thing about these types of discussions. And this is what this is masonry happening when, when we can have these discussions in an open and honest way. Um, and and our brothers deserve this. We we all deserve uh, and to receive and to give every ounce of our of of our love and attention to each other. And if we if we're not doing it, we're we're missing the boat. We're missing an opportunity. And and we have a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of brothers and a lot of guys that we can support, be there for, provide advice to. Um, if that's what they want, um, whisper good counsel when, when it's needed. But that communication, that relationship is, is paramount to all of it. And if we don't have that, then we're, we're, we're missing it. If, if we don't have that, we're, we're not Masons. And, and I think that's, that's really the, the core here is that this is, this is what we are here to do. And we have all obligated ourselves to, to do it. Um, so with that, uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, our next episode, assuming nothing goes wrong between now and then, no guarantees you're made, um, will be on January 22nd, where we will be discussing the progressive line, Chris, is that right? That's correct, yeah. That's sure to be an interesting topic. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, suggestions, please feel free to email us uh, at the address on your screen right now, granitecornerstone at nhgrandlodge.org. We appreciate every single one of you for joining us. I appreciate my guests for joining me this evening. This has been an outstanding conversation, and I'm glad we were able to have it and share it, brethren. Good night, and thank you all for joining us.